0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk the radio. Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice. Straight from the field. The Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon.
1: Hey, 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 hey.
2: All all right, all right, what's up folks, pond keepers, aquatically obsessed, howdy, and welcome to the Pond Hunter radio broadcast, conversations with pond pros, I'm your host. Mike Gannon, and this is my chance to bring to you some of the top, best, and most interessante gente in the pond industry. And my guest tonight is definitely one of the more interesting pond professionals in the industry. I follow him on Facebook and always find his blog posts really interesting. Great reading. He is a pond professional. He's an outdoorsman. He's a certified aquascape contractor, and he is also winner of one of the top pond industry awards. He won the 2016 conservationist of the year, aquascape conservationist of the year. My guest tonight is Bernie Kirkfleet from Skyline Ponds, based out of California. Hey, Bernie, are you on the line? Let's see, Bernie's not here yet. So, um, Bernie was this year's Pondemonium event, which happened back in August during the last week of August. Pondemonium is an annual event hosted by Aquascape Incorporated, and Aquascape is a manufacturer of pond equipment, very very popular throughout the United States and around the world and there are pond professionals from around the world who attend this event, Pondemonium, in St. Charles, Illinois, which is the um, water garden capital of the world and home to Aqualand, which is the headquarters for Aquascape. So they host this event every year, Pondemonium. It's a really cool event. It's a professional event. It's meant for the pond pros that are retailers, installers, um, contractors, service providers, people who are professionals in the on industry all come from around the world, from around the country for um, just under a week. And it's a networking event. It's a learning event. And as part of it, towards at the end of it, there's an award ceremony giving recognition to some of the outstanding professionals in the industry. And among those this year was Bernie and Bernie won the award given out by Ed Ballew, which is conservationist of the year. Um, It's one of the bigger honors in the pond industry. Um, Only one person wins it every year, of course, that being Bernie. And I was uh, so excited to have him come on to the show and talk about that a little bit. And we'll find out more about him and his company and um, see... uh, what's going on out there in California in the world of ponds. Bernie is an interesting guy. Um, I had mentioned earlier in the introduction that he does a lot of uh, blog posts. And when he does them, I love reading them because they are, um, of course, geared towards conservation. So I love that kind of stuff. He always has something really cool to to present and you know a different angle on things than um than we're used to getting so it's kind of an interesting thing that i'm hoping he's gonna come on and um join me for the show (laughs) so as we speak here as i kind of shuffle along here i'm gonna see if i can get in touch with bernie and um Hopefully he's going to join us in just a moment. So hopefully you guys will stick around with me as I kind of make things happen here. So I appreciate you guys for tuning in um, to the to the broadcast. This is something that I really uh, enjoy doing, bringing these different professionals with you. The conversations with POM pros is uh, an offshoot of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. So how I kind of differentiate between the two is basically bringing on different pond professionals uh, for the conversations with pond pros. And the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast is more based upon different topics that we cover, like how to winterize your pond, how to feed your fish, how to grow great plants, how to uh, pick great koi, um, those kind of informational podcasts are what the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast is about. So, um I think what we'll do is we're going to try to get Bernie to call in here again. I don't want you guys kind of in too much suspense. So hopefully Bernie's going to be calling in here and we'll get him on real soon. I did just try to get in touch with him. So hopefully he uh, will be calling in with us in just a few moments or so. But back to the podcast. So I've been doing this podcast. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Blog Talk Radio where the show is actually based from. And of course, I am broadcasting from um the Pondhunter Studios. It's absolutely the studios are just amazing. You you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. I I promise you that. So anyway, um Okay, so I'm gonna see if we can do something here. It's always interesting doing these podcasts because when things just don't go right, and that's one of the problems with broadcasting is that you don't always have things go the way you're hoping for them to. So one of the things I try to do is have at least a little bit of a backup plan. So I always try to go to, um, I think I may have found the, the problem here. So I always try to go to the blog. I write a blog called the Love Love Your Pond blog. And um, that is something that uh, I have all these different topics that we can go into and cover and talk about. So hopefully that's something that I, and I, I see Bernie on the line. So let's move into it now. Now that I've, I've stumbled f- stumbled around a little bit. Ah. <laughs> so, hello. Hey, Bernie. Bernie, on
1: the line. Yeah. Hey. Can you hear me? Hey, Bernie, I can hear you. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I've been on the whole time. I just couldn't get through. Huh. Uh, some one of those uh, glitches. I I apologize about that. But here we are.
2: I'm happy to have you here. I hope you <laughs> you put up with my my fumbling around <laughs> verbally a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's and fine. And I hope I pronun- I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Bernie Kirkwood. Yeah.
1: Correct. That's right, yeah. Great. Not many people get that right.
2: Awesome. I you got it a right in the job. first
1: try. <laughs>
2: well, thanks for taking some time to join me on the
1: podcast. Are you
2: keeping busy out there in sunny California?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're staying pretty busy, even though we're in a drought, but still working.
2: Yeah, it's been drought conditions for a while out there.
1: Yeah, it has been for the last uh, three years, three or four years, we're we're still fighting a, a drought and it's taken its toll in a lot of, a lot of areas.
2: Wow. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the, <clears throat> some of the, you know, what happens from that. Uh, when I was out visiting in that area, it's just, it's amazing. Like reservoirs are down a tremendous amount. It's pretty crazy. So tell me about skyline ponds. How long have you
1: guys been in business? Well, let's say I've, started off at Skyline Landscaping, and I started in landscape business right after college. I got my degree in horticulture, and then got my contractor's license in 1976, and uh, then I started, I did my first pond about 1983 or so, and Mm -hmm. I did a few of them, but they were concrete ponds, and they looked nice, but they were really hard to maintain, and uh, keep clean, and then I learned yeah. how to do the aquascape style of ponds, and uh, I really fell in love with that, and uh, so I've been concentrating on, on uh, ponds since 1999, and uh, okay. I still love doing them.
2: So you found a better way, and you adjusted. That's great. That's right. And why, why
1: skyline? What does the name skyline uh, mean? Well, I live in the mountains of Southern California. I live uh, at the skyline. I actually live 4,000 feet above San Bernardino. um, Wow. And I I live, my house is 5,200 feet in elevation. I live literally on the top of the mountain from my house. I can see Catalina Island, which is in the Pacific Ocean, about, uh, about 70 miles, 70, 80 miles away. Uh, wow. <laughs> so I'm on the skyline.
2: <laughs> That's, that is the skyline.
1: That's quite a view as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what
2: type of, we know, we know that you design and you, you build ponds. What other type of services that you, do you do?
1: Well, I do landscaping. Uh, we prefer to focus on ponds, but because of the drought, uh, you know, ponds, uh, aren't as popular quite now, and they should be, but people don't understand the dynamics of it, and, uh, so I do, uh, landscaping, and, uh, I also build bridges, um, I was looking for bridges for some of my, my projects, and I couldn't find any that I really liked, uh, that were strong enough, durable enough, and stuff like that, and, uh, stylish and um, so I decided I, I do a lot of fabricating as a hobby uh, for my Jeep and stuff and welding and uh, so I started making my own and uh, now I'm really happy with them. They're extremely strong and durable and uh, I make them out of steel and a steel arched bridge and then I use a, a trex or a composite board on the top so it's and powder coat it, or or you can paint it, and uh, they're virtually maintenance free, and they're they're bridges that'll last a lifetime.
2: Well, I've seen a couple of them. I was on your website and saw some photos of them, and they're they're really nice. One photo actually had um, a jeep kind of halfway driven onto it, <laughs> and it was he- holding yeah. up
1: very well. It looked like. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it didn't even budge an inch or a fraction of an inch. Uh, but you know, I tell people how strong the bridges are, and you know it's hard you know you can carry on a whole conversation about that and but one picture will show the strength, so I drove my jeep up on top of a bridge, and uh just to show it, and so like they say, a picture's worth a thousand words, so that's absolutely all so
2: your company really kind of given all that you do creates really complete um, between the landscaping, water features, adding um, landscape bridges as a landscape feature. You, you do really complete outdoor um, landscapes. That's pretty cool. And your website yeah. is skylineponds.com, and people can find you on Facebook as well. That's right. Uh, as Skyline. Great. Um, so congratulations on the big win this year for Aquascape Conservationist of the Year. That's pretty cool. That's the um the award given by Ed Balou from Aquascapes, who's one of my pond heroes. Um yeah. Tell me about winning the conservation of the Conservationist of the Year award.
1: Well, um, it was quite a surprise for me. Um I didn't even know I was in the running. Uh normally the Conservationist of the Year will be involved in uh you know um Rainwater harvesting and wetland filtrations and all that stuff. And I do some of that, but in, uh, rainwater harvesting in Southern California isn't a real big thing. Um, and that's yeah. to do with a lot of things. And one is our climate, because we get most of our, our moisture in the, in the winter, because we live in a Mediterranean climate. And uh, so when we can harvest the rain... We have a lot of it anyhow. So it's in the summer where we need it the most so it's hard it's a, right. a little bit of a harder sell to uh have people install those. Um especially uh when the payback the monetary payback isn't gonna be very, very quick on it.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Sometimes the, the
2: ROI does take quite some time. I think for a lot of, because in New Jersey we really don't have too many water issues, at least on the, on the face of it. I know that water issues are kind of a, a global issue at this point, but on the face of it, we don't. We get plenty of precipitation. And um, so for the couple projects I've done for rainwater harvesting, it's always been people who are just interested in taking that extra step to know that they're they're personally doing something to try to um, conserve water and stuff. It's not that they need to; um, they just they want to. And I, right. g- I guess yeah. you experienced that as well.
1: Yeah, it's a, and that's the case in California too, because monetarily it really doesn't pencil out too too much. But um, what it does is it reduces your water footprint, just so like your carbon footprint. Um, people yeah. have a water footprint too, and uh, it all, you know, helps reduce your water footprint and how much water you personally are responsible for using every year, every day. You know, um, so yeah. that helps reduce that.
2: That's cool. Well, that's a it's a really cool award, and uh, from a really great guy Ed Blue. Um, you want to hear a fun Ed Blue fact? Yeah. Ed
1: Blue,
2: loves, he loves prosciutto, <laughs> and one of Ed's favorite appetizers is, is cantaloupe wrapped in prosciutto, and that that's the fun fact. So, let's move on. <laughs> so, anyway, this award, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's not your first time spending time with Ed Blue. One of my favorite TV shows is The Pond Stars with Ed, uh, Greg Whitstock, Brian Helfrich, and Chris Hansen on the Nat Geo Wild channel. One of my favorite episodes really was the one that you were featured in, and you guys all built um a mountain trout pond together. How did you like yeah. building that project on t v with the pond stars?
1: Oh, it was really interesting it was first of all, it was just a pleasure to work with those guys. They're real professionals, the tops in the field, and uh oh yeah, just being able to uh to work with them was fun, and then just the the project was very unique, you know, to build a trout pond because most people uh, don't live in an environment that they can really support trout, you know, without real expensive systems, you know, to chill the water and stuff. But we did sure. this one at uh, a high elevation of 6,000 feet, and even in the summertime the, the water, with no chilling at all, um doesn't ever get above like 65 degrees, which is a little bit warm for trout, but mm-hmm. they can still handle that. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I I would like to do it again sometime.
2: Yeah. Was there any special considerations for that as compared to a koi pond? Like did it have to be deeper than a, than a koi pond? Did you need additional um circulation or aeration?
1: Well, yeah, aeration was a big thing because uh, they have to live in real oxygen-rich water. And one way to keep uh, the oxygen in the water is to keep the temperature down. So that's why you can't let the water get too too warm. And then we put in a, wow. a big wetland, an oversized wetland filtration system um, to clean the water because they need real clean water. Much cleaner than uh, koi or goldfish or something like that would would mm. you know prosper in but uh so trout trout are a different animal that way that they, they need oxygen rich water and cool temperatures.
2: Wow, how long did that project take?
1: Well, we actually got it done just like the show says in one week you know and uh yeah we worked we worked real late you know the film crew went home at about five o'clock and then we that's when we really got the work done you know we set up lights yeah. and work till till ten, ten thirty at night sometimes to to get that thing done uh well because you know we we had a deadline
2: yeah sure tv it's got to get done what was your yeah. favorite part of the the experience of of doing a project like that television
1: uh well I know it was just all all so new to me. You know, uh, I think the the funnest thing was, you know, working with big rocks. I liked um, I like to use big rocks in my projects, and uh, and working with Ed and Brian and Chris. You know, they uh, they're used to using big rocks too. So and um, you know, so I have big tractors to move this stuff, and I think that that was just just the fun of it working with the big big rocks and try to um, have a lot of agitation in the water to keep the oxygen up. And we actually even put an air stone underneath one of the waterfalls, and which was kind of a neat idea. Ed came up with that. And so that the air bubbles from the air stone would come up right underneath the waterfall so it doesn't look artificial. You don't have a bunch yeah. of air coming up in the middle of the pond, you know. So you can't yeah, even little, tell that there's an air stone there, but it just adds a lot of a lot more oxygen to the water. Yeah,
2: huh. interesting. That must have been a lot of fun. Those, those guys are great, the pond stars. Um, yeah. Now, now you've been hosting what really sounds like a cool event for pond professionals called Weekend at Bernies, and um, you just wrapped up this year's event uh, a few weeks ago. I think is
1: that right? That's right. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. uh, Well, the attendance was low because we had some other events going on at the same time. But um, it's it's a little bit different than the other uh, events that Aquascape was involved in. Um, One thing that, uh, you know, usually at some of the Aquascape events, uh, they do some kind of a build, a pond build or a pondless waterfall or... um, Bubbling urns or whatever, and those are a lot of fun, and I like to go to those. In fact, I can't get enough of them. But I want to do, you know, wanted my purpose in doing this was to try to bring some more people to Southern California, and for some of the CACs in California to get involved in without having to travel cross country, because it's the only thing in the Southwest that is the only kind of event of this type in the Southwest. So, yeah. And in doing so, I, I'd like to, to run it a little bit different. Um, I, uh, have different, um, things to keep people occupied. I'm, I'm a, an outdoorsman. I'm a naturalist and stuff. And so I, uh, one thing I do is, uh, take people out on a nature walk and, Introduce them to plants and uh, of in Southern California and, and you know talk about the environment, our climate, uh, mm-hmm. plant zones, you know plant communities. Uh, I te- I've been teaching uh, wild edible and medicinal plants for 25 years, and so oh, I wow. teach them a lot about uh, stuff like that. You know, I teach search and rescue groups and stuff like that. Um, on uh, wild edible plants and survival techniques and stuff. So that's one thing we do. And then I teach them uh, other outdoor skills like uh, um, spark-based fire starting. And um, we throw axes and tomahawks at targets. And this is stuff that they Not won't do. Not each other. No. <laughs> no, but this is stuff that most people don't do, you know. Uh, I don't care where in the Yet. country you you live. And then one of the uh, the favorite things that people do um, is I get uh, find out how many people are going to be there, and I organize a bunch of uh, my friends in the in the off road community, and they bring up their their jeeps or Toyotas or whatever they have, and they take us. Uh, we all go out on a uh, extreme rock crawling adventure, and uh, cool. we go on the but literally the toughest roads in the San Bernardino mountains are all rated Black Diamond, which is the most difficult. And uh,
2: yeah,
1: and it's stuff that people—you know—I mean, you would look at the roads and think it is absolutely impossible to get through, but we do it, <laughs> you know. And uh,
2: yeah,
1: it's a lot of fun.
2: That—that's so cool. I've seen pictures of that. I, like I said, I, I follow your your stuff on Facebook and. It, I love doing that kind of stuff. I I've actually never done rock crawling in a jeep, but I love kind of going a little bit off road and getting you know following roads to kind of see where where we can end up. I've had some some interesting results from doing that. <laughs> but I look at your your jeeping excursions and man, I mean you're it's the real deal. You're not kidding it that it's black diamond. That that's some really heavy duty stuff. You you have to be um, and of course, I would say it's essentially you guys are kind of professionals driving the vehicles. so what are you doing you're you're bringing the, the attendees from uh weekend at Bernie's and they're just they're hopping in a jeep with people from the the jeeping community.
1: yeah, you know, I know some people that are I've been off roading for since I've lived in mine lived up here for fifty years. And I've been off-roading since I was 16, you know, and uh, yeah. since I could drive. And so, I, along the the years, you know, I've met a lot of people, and and uh, to go on these roads, you know, you can't go on stock vehicles. All these vehicles are fixed up, fixed up uh, pretty extreme. In fact, one mine even isn't fixed up as mo- as well as most of them are. But um, you know, wow. they'll have anywhere from you know, just some modifications, anywhere from twenty to $80,000 in modifications on their vehicles to make it through this. Stuff. Wow. So it's uh, they're very, very experienced and very good at what they do. So uh, I yeah. can call them up and ask them and, and not have any reservations about uh, them getting through.
2: That's amazing. That's a lot of fun and uh very interesting the 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 hiking and the interpretation that you do about plants and and working on as a naturalist in that respect and um your blog your blog posts kind of revolve around that type of a theme as well um a lot of it is even historical information about certain plants or environmental factors really interesting stuff and i think one of the interesting slants that you offer to pond keepers is your knowledge of aquatic plants. Most of the experts that we get our information from are interested in the horticultural qualities and and the aesthetic quality of the aquatic plants that we stock our ponds with. But your slant on things kind of offers up how many of our plants can be used, not just looked at, but how they can be used to our benefit. I think a lot of pond keepers don't even think about that um but they can offer lots of benefits what would be a good example of a water garden plant that's popular for how it looks but offers a lot of unrecognized benefits for pond keepers
1: well probably one that's recognized the world over would be cattail and there's many varieties of it many different species um you know from tall ones you know that are eight eight ten feet tall, some of them to dwarf and miniatures, but the cattail is yeah. a, you know is a very very easy to grow plant um it's a grass it's in the grass family and uh
0: okay
1: it's got all sorts of you can eat virtually the whole plant at one time of the year or the other, and you can we'll start if you want to go into that a little bit do you do you mind?
2: No, not at all. I think it's oh, interesting
1: because okay. it, it's, it's a classic pond plant that
2: that most people, you know, in the world of ponds, they know it, but they just don't know that much about it. So yeah, let's let's talk about that so it can be well, used.
1: I, yeah, we'll start, we'll start at the top and work our way down. But uh, you know, cool. the cattail, uh, the flower itself is that little spear-type thing that. Uh, you know, it's it's a long, round thing with a little spear sticking out of it, out of the top. Yeah. That's what everyone recognizes the cattail by. Well, that's the male, uh, the remnants of the male and female flowers. And when they're young in the spring and, and uh, around my area, around the early June, if you go higher in elevations a little bit later in the year, um, those the flowers are starting to form and they're green the uh, you can see the male and female flower the male flowers on top of the female flower and they're green mm-hmm. and uh, you know relatively small they're not they haven't really grown out yet and uh, at that stage that's called the kitten and you can actually eat the kitten just like you would corn on the cob it's not super flavorful but if you want to make it taste a little bit better you know you Put a little bit of uh, oil, I mean uh, butter and garlic on it, and uh, they taste pretty good. And they're definitely filling and nutritious. And then you can wait a little bit longer, another couple of weeks, and you'll see the male flower start to get wavy on the edges and uh, kind of puffy. And if you just barely touch the flower, you'll see some yellow pollen fall out of it. Well, you can take that yellow yeah. pollen and collect that. We usually just... Stick it in a plastic bag and shake the flower, and the pollen falls falls out of it. And we collect a lot yeah. of a lot of this flower, and it's very high in protein, and uh, and we can use it for a flour substitute. And we, we so use the it pollen, to make right. The pollen is high in protein. Yes, it is. Wow, and, and it, 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 it tastes pretty substitute. good yeah. yeah, and you Amazing. know you. We uh we you don't use a hundred percent pollen in in lieu of flour. You use up to about twenty five percent. And like okay. if you make cattail pollen pancakes, they're really fun because they're they're bright yellow. The pollen is bright yellow, and so it turns the pancakes bright yellow or muffins or whatever you make, you know, bread. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's great. So you have yellow whatever you make. You know, I've had people even use it as a thickener for spaghetti sauce and stuff you know so you can use it wow it's, it's nutritious and uh and the raw pollen itself you know it's got a, a little bit of a unique flavor it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination but it doesn't yep. you know it doesn't taste uh, it's not a strong taste or anything but it tastes different than let's say raw flour or something you know like, right uh, oats that's so oats cool. have a little bit of a different taste well this is a little bit different taste, kind of like oats would be, and uh, so anyhow, the, so we collect the pollen, and then if we uh, that's in you know early, late spring, early early summer, and then if you okay. go down follow follow that the stem all the way down, and you can see where the leaves are coming out, you know, um, right. from from the ground. So what you do is you. You reach in and you separate the leaves until you get the very three or four center parts of the leaf that comes out in that clump and pull straight okay. up. And uh, you'll find a little white stalk at the base of the leaves. And that's edible uh, raw or you can cook it. And it, it tastes really good. It tastes kind of like celery. Mm. It's kind of crunchy. And just keep okay. uh, chomping on it until it uh, starts to get fibery, you know. And that's when you're getting to the almost, older part of the of the plant. And uh almost so sounds like just, eating almost sounds like eating artichoke. Like an artichoke leaf. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's kinda of of like uh I don't know if you've ever taken uh like grasses just like out of the lawn or something, just pulled the very center of the grass and you can see a little bit of a white stem and the chew on that. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's yeah. basically what you're doing with the cattail, except it's kind of like a, well, it is a grass, but it's like a lawn grass on steroids because these little shoots will be, you know, sometimes a half inch in diameter, and uh, wow. you know, you can just sit there and chomp on those. And then uh, probably one of the the things that could has the potential to feed millions of people really is uh, the roots. And you can take okay. the the roots and dig them up. It's actually a rhizome, which is an underground stem. And dig these things up, and they're, they're massive. And, you know, they can, if you get a huge, a really big, thick uh, growth of cattails, you almost need a backhoe to dig them out. You know, the roots are so tenacious, they're so, so interwoven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you take these roots, and uh, you chop them up into, you know, I don't know, I do about four to six inch pieces, and and it's kind of, if you look at a cross-section of the root, it kind of looks like a carrot, you know? When you cut a carrot, slice a carrot, a cross-section of a carrot, where you have the very center core is a little bit different color than the outside of the carrot. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, the cattail is very similar to that. And uh, so you take the outside core and you just peel that off and strip it. And then the inside, you can, it's kind of stringy, but you can wiggle it back back and forth or stick it in a blender or something like that and actually mm-hmm. get a starch. The starch will come out of the roots. Well, you can take that starch and gather the starch. When you're doing it like that, it's wet. And so you can uh, take the starch and... Um, let it, you know, sit in a bucket or something like that overnight, and the starch will set up to the bottom. You, you uh, pour off the, the water part, and then you can dry, the starch that's left, and you can use that starch as a, as a flour substitute also. And you can wow. you can dry it and use it year round. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, and then it's got a little tiny. Uh, shoot off of the the roots sometimes, um, off those rhizomes. And it kind of looks like a point, kind of a a relatively big point. It can be, you know, uh, anywhere from an inch to three inches long, and it's literally pointed. And um, you can take those off, cut them off, and just kind of cook them like potatoes and and eat them. Wow. Because those are a little bit softer and not quite as stringy as the rest of the of the rhizome yeah there's a lot of a lot of stuff to to eat on cattails and they're um they're harvestable uh year round you know you can't get the flowers obviously in the winter and to harvest the roots in the summer it doesn't have as much starch. so it's actually this time of year where they start to build up the starch and start for in the winter and so the best time to harvest the roots is in the fall and winter because the starch content is higher and of course the best time to to harvest the flowers and the pollen is in the spring and then pretty much all summer long you can harvest the shoots uh, that you can chew like a uh, celery you know or cook it or put it in salads you can do a lot of stuff with yeah. it
2: what a versatile plant
1: I can't wait to try uh, cattail pancakes <laughs> yeah
2: that's amazing yeah, it's really stuff, fun. Bernie. It's, uh, yeah, that's great. And uh, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the episode. I I have to apologize about the first couple minutes that, for whatever reason, I couldn't connect, but but we made it. And I really want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. And congratulations again on the the award, uh, conservation of the uh, conservationist of the year. In 2016 And um, can you just remind listeners How they can find you Your your website
1: Well it's Skyline Ponds At uh, skylineponds.com And um, You know my, I live in Southern California Lake Arrowhead area In the San Bernardino Mountains And uh, okay. but I'm available To talk Thank- to anyone anywhere
2: Sure what's your phone number
1: It's 909 909- Three three seven, five eight six two, And that's my office Great. number.
2: And people can find you on Facebook as well. And um, right. thanks again so much, Bernie. I hope I I can come out sometime and visit you for a weekend at Bernie's. And um, oh, I look, look forward to,
1: to it.
2: Yeah. It'll be, a, it'd be bring, a lot of fun.
1: Bring, yeah, bring the whole family. That's one thing that we do that I encourage people to bring the families because. Uh, I think that camping is one of the, the healthiest thing you can do as a family. Uh, you know. So I
2: absolutely will. Not to mention how fun it would be to see my wife going uh jeep crawling on huge boulders. Or <laughs> <laughs> spieling I'll we can in, go into that I'll, too,
1: you know.
2: Yeah. I'll stick her in your Jeep.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: So, well, thanks again. We're we're kind of running out of time, but this is great. I really appreciate everything and the great info. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again, Bernie.
1: Okay, yeah, anytime. I'd be glad to come back on.
2: Great. Thanks so much. Take good care. All right, thank you. Bye. Okay, Bye. bye-bye. That was Bernie Kirkfleet, everybody, from Skyline Ponds out in California. Very cool pond professional. Thanks, Bernie, so much. You, you, know, you learn a lot, of, a lot of great things, and um, I never knew that I could make pancakes from cattails. I'm very excited to try that, not to mention everything else that that versatile can do, which most people just want it for the classic-looking pond plant. But, my gosh, you could actually survive on it, and uh, a lot of people don't even know that. So, very cool. I'm Mike Cannon, ladies and gentlemen. You can find more Pond Hunter on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and the podcast can be found on iTunes. Just do a search for the Pond Hunter, and blogtalkradio.com is the home to the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. And uh, do me a favor, really, please really do me a favor, and give the show a rating and review. And thanks for checking out the show, everybody. We will catch you next time on the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon.
0: You have been listening to the Pond Hunter radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Mike Gannon, the Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, broadcasting Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Radio, the Pond Hunter, keeping it pondy for the aquatically obsessed.
2: That's right. Keeping the Pondy. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time.